You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about our plans for the fall in light of still being in the midst of the pandemic. But first, we'll start by catching up. We thought we'd do something a little bit different this time since the whole episode is really talking about what's happening with us. So we wanted to discuss something that's been in the news this summer. Earlier this summer, J.K. Rowling posted a letter on her website, and there has been a broad response from Harry Potter fans, especially those in the trans community. Since we are people who love Harry Potter, we did a whole episode on Harry Potter in our first year, we wanted to share our thoughts about what has been happening and point listeners to some resources that have been helpful for us to think about and process what has been said. And just like when we are all striving to do our own anti-racism work, it's important to listen to Black leaders and Indigenous leaders. It's really important, we feel, as cis women to listen to trans leaders on these subjects. So the resources that we want to point to are ones that come from the trans community. And these people have done so much work around breaking down the exact points that JK makes in her letter and discussing some of her earlier statements and highlights what's incorrect about those evidence-wise and what is hurtful mm-hmm. to the trans community and to the people who love them. Yes. One resource I found really helpful, I found through the comments of an Instagram post on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, and there has been a lot of thoughtful discussion happening on their page in general. But they shared something from a trans rights group that talked about how can people who love Harry Potter do so in a way that is respectful and loving of the trans community in light of what has happened. And the video was done by a trans man and a cis woman, and they go through point by point of her letter talking about what is hurtful, what is inaccurate, and what is problematic about the points that she raises. So in light of this really generous education that Harry Potter fans and others in the community have shared for all of our consumption, we wanted to talk a little bit about what we're thinking about consuming content from problematic content creators, specifically in this case, J.K. Rowling. As a huge Harry Potter fan, it's hard for me to think about not reading Harry Potter anymore. And so where I have come down with it is that I will probably still read the books. I'll probably still read them to my kids, but I don't plan to financially support her anymore if I can. So not new books, not new movies, not buying anything else, if possible. And the other thing that I hope to do is to open up conversations with my kids when they're old enough to read the books Mm -hmm. about what it means to consume content that's created by people who hold really problematic and hurtful views. I second everything you've said. We own the books. I do think I'll continue to read them and read them to my children. I do feel differently about them than I did before. So many of the themes in Harry Potter are about the fight of marginalized groups for Mm -hmm. equal representation. Mm -hmm. And it feels really incongruous with 
what she has put out there. Mm-hmm. And as you've said, I think that will be an opportunity to talk more with our kids about those issues. But really, I just feel disappointed. I feel disappointed too. And kind of pissed at her. Like, how dare mm-hmm. she use her platform to malign a group that has so much less privilege than she does? It's just really yes. terrible behavior. And I really dislike it. Agreed. And listeners, if you would like to talk more about this, please feel free to reach out via email. Now let's move into what we've been reading. Abby, what's your latest read? I recently finished listening to Americana by Chimamanda Ngoza Adichie. This is the novel from the perspective of Ifemelu, a Nigerian woman who, at the beginning of the book, is living in the United States about to return to Nigeria. Part of the book is retrospective. She's looking back at her time growing up in Nigeria, coming to the U.S., and her recent work on her blog, which is writing about race in the U.S. as a non-American Black person. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the book is her life after she returns to Nigeria and the sort of cultural, personal, relational things that happen in her life there. This, I think, is the perfect fiction book. The characters are complex. They grow through the book. They make some decisions that drove me crazy, but then others that I felt so certain that I would have made identical decisions. Mm -hmm. There is plenty of movement in time, but it's not disjointed in any way. It flows really beautifully. And the cultural and social commentary is incredible. As you might expect, I would 100% recommend this book. I listened to it on audio, which I think was so good. The accents were amazing. Hearing all the names pronounced was really great in terms of me feeling more connected to the characters rather than just feeling unsure about how to pronounce their names, which I think can kind of take you out of it. Yes. Would wholeheartedly recommend. I read this book several years ago and loved it. It was a five-star book for me. For sure. What have you been reading, Sarah? I read the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson. It is a YA mystery trilogy featuring Stevie Bell as the main character. Stevie has a passion for true crime and particularly solving a mystery that happened in the 1930s at Ellingham Academy, which is a private boarding school in rural Vermont. She is accepted to Ellingham based on her application featuring her desire to solve that mystery. Mm. And then throughout the trilogy, there are these flashbacks to what was actually happening at the time of that mystery. And so over the arc of the three books, we learn more and more and put together the pieces of that mystery. But then each book on its own has a contemporaneous mystery happening too. Mm. Cool. I loved everything about it. It was a true joy to read. The only complaint I have, which is minor, is that some characters were better developed than others, which I think is par for the course with YA. Sure. But I was able to overlook that in light of how lovely the series was. (laughs) I would recommend this. These are some of the most delightful books I have read all year. And after reading them, I went into a bit of a reading slump because nothing was as enjoyable 
as those were, and then it just made me feel sad about everything else I was reading. I know that feeling. Let's move on to our topic for today. Back at the beginning of the year, we imagined that we might be talking about back-to-school things and how that was looking for us. And we are going to do that, but things are looking so much different than we imagined back in January. So we thought it would be a good time to just check in with where we are with our families, what our plans are for the fall, how we're dealing with the pandemic several months in. Before we get into the specifics, let's share how we're coping generally. I'm coping fine. Specifically, I'm feeling a little bit at loose ends these days because we were anticipating having baby chickens to care for this month, but our baby chicks who were supposed to arrive by mail order did not survive their trip, Mm -mm. which was very sad. Yeah. And it's also meant that time is more open than I'd have liked it to be. I think sort of that first month of having chickens is really intense and it felt good to have that to look forward to, to be busy in that way, Mm -hmm. and to have something different from the kind of monotony of what things have looked like since mid-March. Right. But we are not having that right now. So we are making do. I would say big picture wise, I am mostly enjoying my kids and my spouse. I'm reading a lot of good books and finding a decent balance between parenting, work, and getting what I need. I feel like I'm doing pretty well, all things considered, in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. How about you? I'm also doing okay. The kids are doing great. I have no worries on that front. And I think it's also been really helpful to see their resilience and how much they've just adapted and highlights the times where I start to wallow and how maybe Mm. that isn't as necessary as I think it is in the moment. Hmm. Neil is still stressed at work. But there is not a lot about that that I can control, so I am working toward acceptance, but that is still a work in progress. (laughs) Personally, I feel like I'm in a much better place than I was at the end of March, right Mm -hmm. after everything shut down, Mm -hmm. being able to zoom out, seeing the upside of the time we are able to spend together as a family, and really just finding a new rhythm where it was such a shock at first, and now it feels like our regular life. Mm Mm-hmm. School is just around the corner. Why don't you start by sharing the ages of your kids and then what your plans are for the school year? Plum is four and Pepper is 16 months. So our initial plan for this year was to send both kids to the same large preschool. Mm -hmm. Plum was going to go four days a week and Pepper was going to go two days a week just for the mornings. That would have been his first school experience and my first regular kid-free time since he was born. Mm -hmm. Earlier this summer, though, we pulled both kids from that program. It started to feel like it just wasn't the best fit given the change in circumstances. They had been so lovely getting Plum in midway through the year and Mm -hmm. giving her a community when we were so new in town. But with how everything has changed, it just didn't feel like the right thing for us anymore. Plum had been on the wait list elsewhere for a pre-K program that starts at age four, and we found out a couple of weeks ago that she did get in there. It's a very small class, five or six students with one teacher, and the school has good plans in place to keep kids and teachers safe. There's lots of outdoor time, there's mask wearing, there's lots of hand washing. And so as of right now, we're planning to send her in person mid-August. That feels 
really fraught mm-hmm. because we don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks with cases here where we live and things at the school. We are going for it, but I have really struggled with the decision. For one thing, it feels like a privilege to even have that as an option mm-hmm. when so many people don't have something that feels good and safe and affordable and that works for their family. And it also feels like we're taking a risk. And it's not clear to me how big of a risk it is to open our circle in that way. Yes. One reason that the decision feels so tough is because when we first moved, I felt like I needed preschool. I felt like I needed to find something. I needed it fast. I needed it right away. And having both kids home full time with me as I'm also still working has made me see that I can handle it. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is Zoloft, that I was not on Zoloft when we first moved. And I think my need to have a break from my kids is higher the less healthy mentally I am. Yes. So if I am able to take care of myself in other ways, I enjoy my children more. Absolutely. In some ways, that's good. It's good to learn that about myself. It's good to learn that about my family. And on the other hand, there are definitely things that I've noticed in Plum that have been harder since she hasn't been having regular outside-the-house social interaction. Mm-hmm. I think everyone I talk to is in this very tough in-between place, whether you're a parent and it's around school or whether you are not a parent and it's around things like opening up your social circles or seeing your aging parents or feeling any number of ways about any number of things that the (laughs) pandemic does. Yes. Mostly this is, here is my decision and solidarity to everyone else who is making tough decisions too. Yes, it feels like there are no good choices. There's just less bad choices given your individual circumstances. And I think that's why it feels so hard to make a choice because similar to what you talked about in the decision-making episode, that it's hard to make a choice if you don't feel great about the options. And that is exactly what we're living through right now. Yep, they're all some degree of terrible. Yes. So the other reason that we are going to start in this program is that if things shut down again, this school has lots of plans in place for virtual offerings, which our Mm -hmm. other preschool didn't. When things shut down in the spring, we basically never heard from them again, except a packet of worksheets was dropped off on our porch, Mm -hmm. which Plum actually loved. She happily did all of the worksheets that, you know, they were tracing in letters and stuff. Yeah. But what I've learned is that she really thrives even on 45 minutes or an hour of virtual interaction with people who aren't us Mm -hmm. daily. So since the beginning of June, she's been in several different virtual camps for four-year-olds. And I am very impressed with some of these teachers and their ability to keep things under control with a Zoom room of four-year-olds. Yeah. But Plum loves it. I mean, she is so happy to share what's happening in her day with these strangers on the internet. She talks about (laughs) her friends from her camps. We have mailed things to her teachers and her classmates. We now have an ongoing play date with a campmate from the June camp. So the idea that even if everything shuts down again, which I think 
were headed for anyway, that there would be a community that she's already a part of that Mm -hmm. she could continue to connect into virtually seems like a net positive. I find it so fascinating how differently kids respond Mm. to the virtual options Mm -hmm. because both of my children really did not love when things went virtual and Mm -hmm. interacting with people that they knew well from being in school with for most of the school year and found it to be much too long and that they would much rather be engaged with something happening right in front of them, Mm -hmm. which gives me some concerns about what's happening for us this coming school year. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you share some about that, friend? Yes. When this episode comes out, my kids will be starting virtual school the next day. E is going into kindergarten and HP is going into third grade. As listeners may know from our mid-year check-in at the end of June, our school system was originally supposed to open in person, and I had been planning to send our kids there. And in retrospect, that was definitely an act of wishful thinking. (laughs) But I also think I recognized that at the time, because I know Neil and I had conversations where I said, would it be better for me to accept now that the school year is going to be virtual, or... (laughs) Should I pretend like it's going to be normal for another month and then be crushed by disappointment when it changes at the last minute? I opted for the latter and feel great about that choice. I think it was really mentally healthy for me to imagine that things were going to go back to normal and to see an end date. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that is so hard about the pandemic is we just cannot see that far into the future and we don't know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. And that feels like an opportunity for me to spiral when I think about that too much and Mm -hmm. that having shorter term pieces to look to has been helpful. And earlier, I also felt like, similar to what you were saying with Plum, it would be great for the kids to get to meet their teachers, get to meet their classmates, and I was not envisioning any scenario in which they would be able to be in person all school year, but Mm -hmm. even if it were just for a few weeks or a month, having that relationship established before moving virtual seemed like a positive. But the closer we got to it and imagining what that school situation was actually going to be with kids having to stay six feet apart all day, having to wear masks, and just thinking through, are they going to be having fulfilling social interactions. Mm -hmm. Is that the best environment for them to learn? They're going from completely unstructured time to seven hours of not just structured school time, which I think is great, but structured school time plus the structure of COVID, the hand washing, the line forming, the constant telling of children to stay away from one another. Mm -hmm. And is that really worth it when they are thriving at home? And so our district originally was offering a choice between virtual and in-person, and we had been moving toward the virtual option. Then one week before school was supposed to start, the whole district is now virtual for at least the first month of school, and they pushed the school start date back by a week so that teachers Mm -hmm. could have time to plan to move from figuring out social distancing in the classroom to figuring out virtual. Mm -hmm. And man... To be a teacher or a principal or anyone who works in the school system right now, I feel so grateful for the energy and effort they are putting into this constantly shifting environment. I think everyone has kids' best interests at heart, but what an impossible situation. Mm -hmm. 
we are trying to go into the virtual with an open mind. The spring was not great for our kids, but I think that everybody learned a lot from that experience. And I also think, yeah, it's probably not going to be ideal, but it's the best that we can do right now. And any worries I have about the pandemic need to be focused on the broader systems, how to help the community at large, and Mm -hmm. figure out how to do right by everybody in the community. Mm -hmm. Those are thoughts on school. Let's turn to our work lives and how things have been and what we're foreseeing for the fall. Work for me continues basically as it always has, which I'm thankful for, especially finances wise. Would not say that I love my job, but it is a really good fit and it is really flexible. Mm -hmm. And that has really been a blessing, especially now. Something to be thankful for. Uh Uh-huh. It has been tough because I have been writing a lot about the coronavirus, but last month I had more of a balance in the stories I wrote. My editor assigns me stories. She emails me and says, hey, can you cover this? If I really don't want to or if I have a conflict of interest somehow, then I don't. But mostly I just roll with what she says. She's the director, the news director of the publication. And so she chooses things that are going to complement each other. Mm -hmm. It's not all talking about COVID. There's some other stuff sprinkled in there. Last month, I had more of a balance of the stories that I wrote. Two were COVID-related and two were not COVID-related. That really felt like a breath of fresh air. I had some months where I was writing all coronavirus stories, and it's just really hard to write about it, both because then I'm thinking about it more than I might strictly like to be. Right. And because everyone who's working on it or working in an adjacent field is currently really busy working and does not necessarily make time to talk to journalists. I typically speak to three to four scientists for every story that I write. And I usually email between five and 10 to find people who are available on a journalist timeline, which is usually less than a week. Mm -hmm. The last COVID-related story I wrote, I had to email 33 people to find four to talk to. So that's a real pain. And because I'm being paid by the story, then I'm investing much more time in that sort of early part of it. Mm -hmm. And so then it's less lucrative of a job. I have less time for the kids. I have less time for self-care. It takes up a lot of brain space worrying if I'm going to get all the people that I need to to talk to. So I really loved having that balance last month. I hope that that continues. I think there was sort of this desire in science journalism to be all COVID all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think because like you said, with the pandemic, we don't know when it's ending. We're hitting more of a balance now in what we're covering. And as someone doing the reporting and writing, I am really thankful for that. Yes. Another fun work-related development that just happened this week is that I was just hired to teach an eight-week virtual science communication course for trainees at Vanderbilt that will start September 4th. Cool. Weekly, I will have an hour of class that I will prepare for. We will learn all about communicating science with multiple audiences, and I'm excited about that, both as something novel in my work life but also as something that has the potential to continue and to grow Mm -hmm. in the future. So hopeful that that will be a bright spot this fall. Yeah, I love that. What's going on with you and work, friend? I'm still working part-time at the public library. 
Right now, we are currently divided into three teams. So one team is in the building for a week, and then you do two weeks work from home and continue that cycle so that we have less people there. I think that will be changing this coming week, but I'm not exactly sure what that will look like. I've been a little bit surprised by just how much I really love working and love going to work. I really enjoyed being home with my kids and never felt like a part of myself was missing. I know I've talked about before, I feel like there's this narrative about if you're staying home, you're not using your brain, you feel unfulfilled, and that never resonated with me. Mm -hmm. But working has shown me how much I love that too, which I think is an example about how you and I both generally just feel great about whatever choice we make. (laughs) Yes. But it's been a really nice surprise to have that piece. And I think especially through this time, just being in a different environment than only our home. Mm -hmm. It has been a little bit tricky because I was hoping that this fall I would be able to work more, thinking about library school, thinking about what future steps might be. And a lot of that feels on hold with the kids being home, with Neil being swamped at work. And I have felt some grief over that loss of what I expected this fall to look like, which I know so many people have been feeling that. There's so much we've all been missing, and what we envisioned for 2020 is not what's happening. Yeah. A topic on everyone's mind has been socializing and how open our circles are and how we're thinking about either expanding those or closing them back in light of what's happening in our individual communities. Where are you all in that right now? In some ways, the pandemic was really a gift because we got to get used to living somewhere new without also having to navigate as much the different social and cultural things that come along with moving to a new city. Mm. I have felt so connected to my family and connected to our home and connected to the work we've done in our yard, for instance, and feeling a lot more physically rooted. But in other ways, we've been really cut off from making new social connections, right? being part of new communities, because... We're not visiting churches. We're not going to library story time. We're not going to playgrounds. And, you know, those would be the places that we would be meeting people. And none of that is happening. Right. And honestly, it's probably going to continue that way. With Andrew being at work and now Plum nearly being at school, that's already opening our circle a lot. Mm hmm. It's possible we'll see some friends for an in-person play date. We've done that one other time, but it's less likely that we'll do that or see family other than virtually because we don't want to take more risks than we already are or expose people to our germs. Right. Especially people who are at higher risk or are in circles with people who are higher risk. Yes. There are so many angles to be thinking about it from. Yeah. So it's possible there will be some socially distanced walks with friends in the future for me, but really socially, most of it is looking virtual for fall. Yeah. What about y'all? Right now with the kids, they have been playing with other kids on our street, but outside. And that has felt okay to me with the balancing of what are their social needs with the risk that we're taking on and thinking about it in the long term. Neil and I decided we need to figure out something that 
felt good to us, that staying completely closed down with only being in our family and going to work didn't feel like that was sustainable for the next year, Mm -hmm. but still wanting to be cautious and take precautions and not open up completely. So having kids play outdoors with a limited number of families has felt good to us at this point. And Mm -hmm. that may change as cases will likely continue to rise this fall with IU opening and the fact that we have no leadership doing anything to control the pandemic (laughs) in any meaningful way. And we've taken the approach of needing to be completely honest with the families we're interacting with, both about our level of contact and what we're comfortable with, and just knowing that that may be changing, that Mm -hmm. just because the kids are playing now, that may not feel okay in a month. And I'm having trouble envisioning a situation where we'll be okay having us or our children interacting inside with anyone Mm -hmm. until there's an effective vaccine. I struggled with that constantly changing of what feels safe and what feels okay especially around the school stuff it's like this school was great what's the problem why do I feel so uneasy about it Mm -hmm. and then I had a friend who was like all bets are off everything is changing all the time of course you have to change what feels okay to you yes multiple times I totally agree for me I have met up with friends for socially distant walks and chats in the backyard with our chairs separate. And that still feels good to me, that being in an outdoor environment, distant from folks, at this point feels like meeting needs and maintaining connection without taking on too much risk. But as we've said over and over, that may be changing. I'm also grateful that we got to see my parents last month, was really struggling with whether to see them or not. But it felt like so long to go without seeing our kids and without seeing them. And we ended up deciding to go camping where we could be outside and stay distant, but still be interacting with one another. Of course, that wasn't risk-free, but it felt like the best we could do under the circumstances and knowing that things will likely not improve, wanting to do it now rather than later. Mm -hmm. We know everybody is dealing with all of these kinds of decisions. We would love to hear what you're thinking and how you've been making these tough choices, or just commiserate with how tough they are. Let's end by sharing something we've been eating lately. Mine is actually a request. I am looking for the perfect banana bread recipe. I shared the chocolate banana bread recipe Mm -hmm. a few months ago, and that is excellent. We almost always have the ingredients for it. It is moist. It's easy. Delicious, if I haven't already Mm -hmm. said that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for plain banana bread, I don't feel like we have found it yet. So many of the recipes require honey that I am finding, which Mm -hmm. I find so annoying for baking because it's expensive, it requires a lot of it, and we don't always have it on hand. So I need a honey-free half whole wheat, half regular flour, because that's my preference for banana bread. I like it to feel Mm. really hearty, but not all whole wheat, because then that feels too hearty. These are very specific requirements, listeners. Yeah, I also hate whole wheat flour, so I am so intrigued by the fact Mm. that you like whole wheat flour. Yeah, for something where it's already so sweet on top of it, but then it just feels like it has more to it instead of just 
dissolving. I don't know. Mm. I'm about it. Interesting. I have a great banana bread recipe that I have carefully honed over years and sort of adapted. I think you could go half and half, half whole wheat, half white, or maybe a third whole wheat. Okay. And two thirds white. So I will send it to you and we'll post that one in the show notes. But okay, people, if they have others, can definitely share. Please do. What have you been eating, Abby? I feel like I finally figured out how to make fried rice. (laughs) Excellent. And it was mostly thanks to this recipe and set of instructions from Gimme Some Oven. And it's just basic fried rice. Probably everyone knows how to do that. But I did not. Every time I made fried rice, I felt like it was too soggy and sticky. Mm. It didn't fry appropriately. The flavor wasn't where I wanted it to be. It just felt not great. But I have successfully made fried rice several times now. I will say the key seems to be using butter to fry. Ooh. Okay. Using cold rice. I've heard that trick. So not freshly cooked rice because I Mm -hmm. think that was my promise that I would not think to cook it ahead of time and then just Mm -hmm. have warm, wet rice that didn't fry well. Yes. So if you let it cool in the fridge for at least a few hours, and I've done it as short as a few hours and as long as several days, then it's much more likely to fry, take Mm -hmm. on color. Also, in this recipe, they recommend oyster sauce. Hmm. It's a specialty thing that I didn't usually have on hand. I find that that gives it a little extra something that makes it taste more like a restaurant. We are very happy with it. The whole family loves it. And... I feel like I have achieved an adult milestone in my life (laughs) by being able to cook fried rice. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I also have a favorite fried rice recipe that I will share with you. It's a recipe from Shutterbean, and it's bacon fried rice. Mm. Highly recommend. Oh, yes. This one has a lot of steps. I do not do all of the steps because it's too complicated. Basically, the suggestion is just add bacon to your fried rice. Sounds amazing. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find more details about everything we talked about today, including what we're reading and eating, on our website, friendlierpodcast.com. You can also leave us a comment there or on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or you could email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Now let's move into what we've been reading. That is not J.K. Rowling. (laughs) Abby, what have you been reading? We would love to hear your thought processes. Is that a word? Processes? We would love to hear what you're thinking. That's what I'm going to (laughs) say.